This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution. That will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome, welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. Explore the mind of MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Now, now up to bat, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Boone. And today on the program, I'm joined by a guy that I've spent a good amount of time with. He's been a sports columnist for the better part of 30 years and has been covering the Mariners since 1996. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Seattle Times, Larry Stone. Larry, thanks for coming on the program. My pleasure. I, I'm, I'm used to asking you the questions. It's going to be a little turnaround I was here. Come you asking me. <laughs> Larry, the irony here. The irony. <laughs> uh, before I get before I interview Larry Stone, what was it like covering Brett Boone? <laughs> it was awesome. Be, not- be nice. This is you know what the sh- the name of the show is. No, I'm I kidding. I, I I'm not just saying this because I'm on your show. You were you were a joy to cover, and I've told other people that in that era from 2001 uh, to about 2005, when your heyday with the Mariners, uh, your second stint, um, you were the go-to guy. No matter a tough loss, a big win, you were always at your locker. And you were the first guy we went to. And I have a distinct memory of one day after a loss, you 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 told the writers, you know, I just don't feel like talking today. And, and one of the guys said, well, we need to talk to you. And he said, and you said, okay. And you, and you <laughs> held court that day, just like you did the other day. You kind of wanted a break because you'd been doing it every day. But I think you felt it was your obligation to sort of be the spokesman for the team in that, in that era. And you did a great I- job of it. I think it is. And to a point, you know, I was a young player once and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you talk to the media here and there, but there's usually a veteran presence in in a big league clubhouse, especially on a winning team where Mm -hmm. you have your go to's, you know, guys that are going to give you uh, the scoop, going to be honest with you as I morphed into a a veteran player and on especially those Mariner teams where I was kind of in the middle of that pack. And I don't know, I, I. I felt like I got to a point in my career where I felt like your guys' job is tough. My job's tough. Uh, Sometimes we both don't want to be there after a game. You know, Larry, Mm -hmm. the last thing you want to do is come down when I go 0 for 5 and we lose and I drop a, you know, I screw up a double play to win the game. The last (laughs) thing you want to do is come down and pass, but that's your job. And and the last thing I want to do is answer that question. But I just felt it was, and I think you said it right, it was my obligation as a player making a lot of money in the middle of a lineup of on a team that's winning to answer the bell, good, bad, and indifferent, 
because it's easy for to stand up there when things are going great and we just won and I just hit a three run homer and yeah, let's mm-hmm. talk about me. Uh, but I also, you know, I felt that you had to be there on the downtimes and I think that's how you form whether we like each other or not, the media and players, it's, it's, it's a complex, you know, especially for certain personalities, but we've got to live together. So mm-hmm. I always thought I might as well get along with the, with, with these guys and, and be there for them. That was my obligation. And uh, all I asked in return was I, everybody has to be critiqued, but just do it professionally and critique me fairly. And I'll be there for you. Win, lose or draw. So I appreciate um, you saying those words. Um, relationships between player and media uh how, how do they work in general because you have your guys that you like that are easy to work yeah. with but i'm sure you've had some tough ones over the years yeah i mean i covered barry before i came to seattle i covered the giants for six years uh, during the barry bonds era and you know he was a he was a difficult guy to cover he was sort of the opposite of what i just described with you he would not always be around and and sometimes you needed him and it was excruciating trying trying to get him and Barry would have his moments where he was extremely personable too. It was, it was sort of the not knowing that was the worst part, which Barry were you going to get that day? Uh, so, you know, when the best player on the team is the most accessible, uh, that's a dream, uh, a dream situation. And, you know, you were right up there with the best, you know, one of the best players on that team and you were also the most successful, accessible. Tony Gwynn was like that in San Diego. You know, you, you always knew that, that Tony was going to be there. He, he loved, loved to talk with the media but to answer your question you know what you said about all you asked was that they be fair that's that's i think i think most writers understand that and strive for that to be even if you have to be negative do don't do it in a don't get personal do it in a in a constructive way or a fair way where the uh, the criticism even the player has to agree that it's warranted and it's not mean spirited and, you know, when you're, there's a different relationship when you're a beat writer than when you're a columnist, when you're a beat writer, I think you try to, uh, to, to get a closer relationship with the players. Cause you're, you're there every day before the game, they open the, the locker rooms two, three hours before the game. And there's a lot of milling around. And a lot of times just, just that's where you chat up the players and get to know them on a more personal level. You know, a columnist, uh, I think you, you have to keep your distance a little bit more because you have to be a little bit more negative sometimes as a, as a columnist than as a beat writer. But, uh, you know, I, I was fortunate that I always had pretty good relationships with everyone I covered. Uh, and I think maybe that was just the result of trying to be, trying to be fair and, and understand things from, from your guys's point of view and knowing that it's an extremely difficult game and, that the mistakes that happen are just a function of that. And and you have to be a little bit uh, uh, forgiving in that regard. I think you're right too. And I think it comes down to a respect thing. And, mm-hmm. and I know for me and, and most of the guys, I got along good with the press, especially uh, the beat writers, the guys that were there every day and on the road for the most part, uh, the press was good to me, you know, critique me when I need to be critiqued. I had thick skin. I, I wasn't going to, you know, mm-hmm. if, if, if you're making X amount of dollars a year and you're not performing, well, that's got to be reported. doesn't mean we have to blast you and say you suck, but right. it's like, hey, you know, <laughs> Brett's not doing his job. I understood that. Uh, the few times probably I had 
problems with press through the years was probably on the road. Probably it was getaway day. I was leaving. And, and back then, before social media was so, you, know, you, you don't miss anything. And, and if you do miss something, your buddy's going to text you and say, hey, did you see this column by Larry Stone? <laughs> uh, so it's not like the old day. But it seems like the times that that I felt a little bit like, wow, that was that, that didn't need to be said or that was it was usually on the road and it was usually the day I was leaving because they didn't have to come back. And, to, you know, and hopefully I'd forget by the next time I came to town. Well, I usually didn't forget if something <laughs> stood out to me. But, um, yeah, for the most part, it, it's a mutual respect. And it's, hey, you know, if it's another teammate that comes from another team, mm-hmm. uh, they'll ask you, hey, who are the guys you stay away from? Who, yeah. Uh, our time in Seattle. I didn't really have anybody to say stay away from. I said that that guy's a good guy. He'll be straight with you. Uh, he'll report fairly. Uh, but, you, you know, I found that some players get a little bit too. Uh, I don't know what the word is, but they're a little, little fragile. It's like mm-hmm. you realize you play this game. And especially now when guys are making $20 million a year, you make a lot of money. And you know what comes with that critique? Mm-hmm. If you don't want to be critiqued, be the 26th man on the roster, make the minimum, and no one will ask you a question anyway. <laughs> but if you want to make $20 million, have all the all the perks that come along with it, this is the other side of the coin, and it's part of the deal as being one of the main guys. And I, I've always tried to say that to, to up-and-coming players. It's mm-hmm. like one day you're going to be in this position, and, and I think you have an obligation because of what you do for a living. Uh, to answer these questions and be honest with them. And I said, you know, most of these press guys, they're good guys. If you shoot them straight, if you answer their questions, mm-hmm. everybody gives us a break once in a while. I'm sure there were days, Larry, where you guys came to me and said, guys, just give me one day. Yeah. And because of our relationship, you respected that in return and gave me my space. Now, I'll be right back there tomorrow. You know me. I, I would be back there tomorrow for you. Yeah. It's just everybody has their limits. My threshold was a little more. I knew after a, a, a tough game, tough series, tough week, uh, that at the, when I, when I walk off that field, I'm, I know I'm going to have to talk to the press and I've already set my mind. So I'm not going to come in ranting and raving. It's like, no, this is part of what I do. Yeah. And, uh, so, so that's, that's the reason for that. Um, you mentioned personal, is there a line between reporting and personal? Yeah. Well, for the, for sure there, there is, and you have to kind of, uh, erase if you have, you know, (laughs) there's going to be people that you hit it off with and there's going to be people that you don't like, just like in life. And I always tried not to carry that into my, my writing that, you know, and both ways, you know, guys that you really liked, you had to be, you know, sometimes it was tough to be critical with them, but the other way around guys, you didn't like, uh, you know, some writers will, will let that flow into their writing about them. And I always tried not to do that. But it's inevitable that you're going to grow closer with some players than than others. You know, I had a few over the years that I just hit it off with, and and you know, you, 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 you it, it's almost like you don't want to have a friendship, a true friendship, because that could color the way you know. At, at inevitably, something negative is going to happen, and if you you know you're going out to dinner with this guy or playing golf, then then it's hard to be a fair reporter with them. It, that happened. You, you can develop those relationships more after their career is over, you know, and that's happened too. But um, yeah, you, uh, you, that was a cardinal rule of mine. It's just not to, not to, not to get personal, not to, to have vendettas or anything like that. What I'm asked about managers 
uh, and you know what makes a great manager this that it, there's a lot of intangibles i think uh, that you have to have to be a real uh, elite manager of, the, mm -hmm. of the, all the guys i played with the, the the really good ones all had certain qualities and one of them was you need to you're you're talking about this press and players it's the mm -hmm. same with the manager and players. You can't be too close with your players. Yeah. Uh, there are man. Bruce Bochy was probably the closest anybody ever got because he's Bruce. He's a big teddy bear. Mm -hmm. uh, but he even had to keep his distance because he's got that tough job. He's going to have to release you one day. He's yeah. going to say you're traded. He's going to tell a young player you're getting sent down. So to get too close, then it becomes an emotional thing. If if a manager and a player are are are, are that close, uh, he might have to deliver some bad news one day. So yeah, yeah, I, I see what you're talking about on the on the closeness between uh, media and players. Because I was thinking about this when when I was preparing for this for this show today, and I thought because Larry, every for those of you listening to the boom podcast larry stone is pretty easy to get along with you know there's not too many guys i've ever dealt with any players that have a problem with larry stone but i'm sure you had your favorites and i'm sure you had guys where you thought i'm trying as good as i can but i just don't like him so the guy that you really some of your favorite guys through the years was it tough when man i got to write a tough column tomorrow I got to yeah. write a tough article, yeah. whereas vice versa, that guy that you really, for whatever reason, don't get along with, don't respect, you've got to write a real great piece on him. <laughs> Is there two that fight each other? Yeah, that, that for sure. And I think if you've earned the reputation, and I appreciate the, the, those words, but if you've over time have shown that you are fair and that you are trying to get you know, the, their side of the story and all that, when you do have to turn a little bit negative, I think uh, they take it a little bit better than if you uh, have ignored them <laughs> and not developed a relationship at all, or if you've clashed with them. So, you know, I, I think the fact that I tried to forge a relationship of some sort uh, helped me when it, when it came inevitably time to, to point out something that wasn't that positive. So I think they, the players uh, understood and respected that, you know, not to say I haven't had issues with players over the years. That's inevitable too. You're going to write something that they don't like. When I, uh, one that stands out, um, I was, uh, this was an assignment was to write a story on the, the 10 worst free agent signings that the Mariners had ever had. And at number four, I think four or five, I put Jared Washburn, who, who was on the team at the time and had had a couple of bad years. And Jared was furious with me about that. <laughs> and I don't know if he ever fully forgave me for that. Um, but, the, you know, that's the sort of thing that, that, that you just have to sort of shrug off when it happens. I tried to explain to him my reasoning and, and all that, but uh, I think it was, it really, it hit a, it hit a, a sensitive spot with him so th that sort of thing happens over the years it's a different time now but let's go back in the day a little bit you ever uh, you got your story you're writing it you send it off and do you ever have that toss and turn night like man did i did i really capture what i was trying to cap did i say should i have changed this sentence <laughs> and, and you're, you're you're just tossing and turning all night you ever have one of those 
I think you asked the wrong question. The question is, do I ever not have one of those? Because <laughs> I agonize over every one, and I have those moments, uh, maybe maybe less now that I'm old, older and near the finish line. But yeah, I I second guess myself constantly, and that's one good thing about the internet age. Before, when I first started, for the first bulk of my career, you sent the story, and there was nothing you could do about it till it done. appeared. In the, yeah, you're done until it appeared, in, you know, on your front porch in the morning. But now, if you do make a mistake, you could get back in it and correct it, at least for the internet, maybe not the print edition, but the online edition. So uh, that takes a little bit of the panic away. Um, you know, often what, what I'll fret about is is mistakes that I made. Did I get the count right when he hit the home run uh, and, and that sort of thing. But occasionally it's, was I fair in this characterization? Did I get the play right? So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a, a lot of it's just personality driven. I have that kind of personality where I'm going to fret over things. And uh, so, yeah, that, that that you described uh, my <laughs> my point of view pretty accurately there. Along those that a similar line of questioning. And what I mean is uh, when it comes to putting out a story, I, I know your your job starts pregame. Yeah players start pregame you talked about coming three hours early milling around the pregame story now the game is played so there's a story in itself at the end you got to wrap it up there'll be times where it, you know it's a 14 inning game and you're the story has changed five times yeah. by the time you get there but i'm just thinking those days where, where let's for me the only the the only thing i can really attributed to is preparing for an interview like today. And and there's some that just flow and it's easy when I'm preparing It's some, I just can't get it out. I can't write it. Do you ever have one of those where I know the story it's in my head. I've been doing, I've written yeah. a thousand stories in a row and I just can't put it on paper and everything I write looks like this is, this is not right. That does happen. One thing is uh, when there's a night baseball game, you don't have that luxury. There's a deadline. And you have to hit it. If you don't, if you miss too many deadlines, you're going to be out of the job. I mean, that's the number one job requirement is to hit that deadline. So you you're not allowed to have writer's block or or that sort of thing. I mean, what you produce may not be very good, but you're going to have to produce something. And so, uh, and I don't know a lot of if a lot of people know this, but you know, the, we're writing our stories. The people who cover the games, the beat writers, during the game because. Uh, for the early edition, it has to be sent the, the second the final out is made, you hit send on your on your computer and, and send it. So it's not like after the game, you're you're starting to write. You're writing while the game is going on to hit that deadline. And when you, you, you might the worst ones are when a team is leading, let's say the home team is leading going into the top of the ninth and the the other team rallies and takes the lead and that's blown your whole angle that you've, that you've just written about. And then the home, so you, you, you frantically adjust the story to reflect that. And then the home team rallies in the bottom of the ninth and wins, and then you have to change it again. So it's, it's a job that's, that, that can fry you mentally just because of the stress of meeting deadline night after night. And, and then usually what you do is you go down to the, the clubhouse after the game, talk to the players, then you come up and you rewrite your story for later editions to reflect, you know, you take a little more time with it, craft it a little bit more, insert the quotes and all that. So you're writing multiple uh, versions of the same game. And uh, it's a very, 
you know, people don't, I think, appreciate how stressful and difficult it can be. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, I'm going to give you a stressful question. Now, this has been brought up to me quite a bit, and and we've talked uh, on the phone about this, and I, yeah. and I told Larry I was going to bring it up because these are the things that Larry deals with. Yeah. Uh, it's Seattle-based. Recently, uh, young young pitcher for the Mariners, Kirby who I, I, I think one day is a, is a Cy Young candidate, that type of stuff. But he, he comes in, he comes in after the game and he has words and, and he, I'm not going to quote him, but the gist of it was he gave it up. Uh, he had 90 pitches. He went out for the next inning. He ended up giving up a home run. Uh, Mariners end up losing the game. And, and essentially he said, yeah, well, I wish I wasn't even out there. I had 90 pitches. Now, as an ex-player, and I've been asked about this soon as soon as that happened because of my Seattle ties. Of course, I had a lot of questions about it, and I was careful how I answered it. I thought about it a bunch because uh, I always say that time when I was in that clubhouse and I was the center of that clubhouse, that was my time. Now it's not my time. It's their time. It's this player's time. I know times have changed. I know players have changed. Uh, I know the culture is different. 90 pitches is drilled into their mind coming up the ladder in the minor leagues. So I get the differences. But I have to admit, when I heard him say that on camera, I have never been with, uh, played with a teammate or played against an opponent that I actually saw him on camera say something like that. He got a lot of backlash uh, on Twitter, you know, from, from ex Cy yeah. Young type, Hall of Fame type players. Um, I, I didn't say anything, but I just thought, wow, from a teammate's perspective as a player on the field, I see that from a teammate and I kind of opens my eyes like, whoa, 
because the most important thing you have this this player media relationships great this player management you know coaches staff that's important the bottom line is the most important relationship is you and your teammates in that room because those are the guys that go out there from seven to ten every night your reaction of a situation like that how do you handle that how did how did uh kirby handle it well yeah you know i I winced when I saw those comments because I knew there was going to be a backlash. And sure enough, you know, a lot of players from your generation on Twitter ripped him. Jared Weaver, you know, Houston Street, uh, Mark Mulder, Roger Clemens. Those are the ones I saw. And I think there were a few others. And uh, I think the players in there in the Mariners clubhouse, I think they know what a competitor he is. He's a he's a fierce competitor. I think he just miss kind of misspoke he's a guy who takes losses and poor performance by himself extremely hard he takes it to heart he i, I think he's what you'd call a hothead and he i think that that kind of got the better of him in that moment i don't think that it stamps him as a guy who wants out of the game or anything like that i think he i think he genuinely thought that the team would have been better at that point to have someone else in there because he was losing his stuff and he knew that it may not end well. But I agree with you, Brett, that you keep those thoughts to yourself. Yeah. You go into the manager's office and express it privately in a different way. I think if he had, you know, he's he the next day he came out and apologized, said he's, you know, he felt badly. He apologized to Scott Service, the manager. Uh, so I I, th I hope this doesn't uh, hang on him for his whole career because I think he's a guy who really wants the ball and, and wants to be out there. I just think that I don't think he's a 90 pitches and five and dive kind of guy like uh, you see occasionally. And there were those kind of guys in your era in the and in the era of Mark Mulder. It's not like this is a new thing. Uh, and we I, called him and we called him as players. We said, oh, he wants out of here at the fifth. We all knew. We know yeah. who the guys are that that yeah. that want out. And we right. know who the guys that are going to they're going to grind until you pull them off the mound. Right. And I played I, with both. And I think Kirby, honestly, is closer to that latter group. The ones you're going to have to pull them off. I just think he had a bad day. He had a bad post game as well. Real and, bad post game. Yeah, real bad post game. And I think he's going to have to live with it a while and sort of prove that that's not him. And I think he will. Like you said, he's a Cy Young caliber talent. Uh, and you know, he was on, he was a dark horse Cy Young candidate this year, although he's mm -hmm. kind of faded towards the end of the season, but, uh, or struggled a little bit towards the end of the season. But, uh, you know, as from a writer's point of view, if you get a quote like that, you've got to run with it. You've got to, you know, you've got to explore it further. And, and, uh, because you know that that's something you don't hear every day. Um, you know, there's a lot of quotes after the game that you can almost tell what the quotes predict, what the quotes going to be before you hear it, because you hear the same things in different situations. When you get something that's unique, uh, that's noteworthy. And this is something that no one had heard. And so, it was it was something that that the media was going to run with and and you know i don't think anyone was unfair to him i didn't see i think most of the more of the criticism came from ex players than it did from the seattle media yeah um you're retiring in november uh how what's the biggest changes you've seen since the beginning of your career to present well media wise i don't know if that's what you're referring to but there used to be 
uh, you know, you mentioned Lou. I covered La Russa. I covered Dusty and Lou. The three; those were the three like uh, celebrity managers that I covered. Right, right. And 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 in, in their era, and when I started in the eighties, the manager would hold court in their office before every game for half an hour or an hour. And you'd ask them baseball questions and get the rundown on the team kind of off the record. And they'd be blunt and you'd talk about things not about baseball. Lou, Lou loved it. Lou loved to, to hang out with the writers in his office. Sometimes the PR guy would have to come in and say, hey, the game's about, you know, the game's going to start pretty soon. You better get these guys out of there. Um, and nowadays, that's, you know, that used to be everyone. Whitey uh, you know, was around, Sparky. Uh, I even overlapped a little bit with Billy Martin. He was still managing when I started. And those, all those guys would hold court in their office. Lasorda La was big at that. Lasorda was huge in that. Yeah. And you'd, you'd learn so much about the game and the players. And, uh, you know, I valued those, those, those times. You know, Roger Craig was another manager I covered. I should have mentioned him. He was like that, too. And uh, that's com almost completely gone now. Dusty's still around, but I don't think he even does it now because it's a whole different era. You just, instead of hanging out in the office of the manager with your kind of your feet up on the desk kind of situation, now it's in the dugout. It's mo very mu much more uh, uh, cut and dry. Everybody's filming everything, so the managers can't be as blunt and as honest as they were before when no one had a camera or a cell phone. You know, they didn't have to worry about their quotes being taken wrong you know, there was a sort of a trust an unspoken uh, uh agreement that's that w everyone kind of knew what was well on the record and what was off the record but now it's much more formal and i think something has been lost uh you know that's not to say you can't you know uh, scott service is very good at dealing with the media you could He'll answer your questions. He'll go a little deeper and that sort of thing. But, but the era of the sort of uh, rock on tour manager of the, the Tommy Lasorda types so that that that's gone. That's a big change, and, and the game itself has changed too. Is you know I, I listen to your podcast. You talk about that quite frequently, and uh, and we all know how the game has changed as far as strikeouts not being as frowned upon as they were in your day, and. Right. Uh, many other things. Well, I know players have changed. I mean, do you see now being a veteran of so many years, do you see the new breed of the media? Are they, are they different than the guys that, like you said, back in the day, sit there, have a cup of coffee, kick yeah. their feet up with the manager <laughs> and just kind of BS. Yeah. Whereas do you see a little more buttoned up because, yeah, you know, I think as many things have changed from a player's perspective, a lot of them have remained the same. Now, you don't know what's really going on unless you're one of those 26 guys in the clubhouse. You really don't. Ex-player, that's exactly what you are. You're an ex-player. You're not privy to the on-the-ground stuff that only players know. Definitely a, a different culture. They're, they're brought up differently, believing different things. They train differently than we did. But I think a ball player is a ball player is a ball player. taking a shower right after the game and being gone. I hear that happens all the time. Uh, whereas we used to sit around and talk the game. Manager might come in the clubhouse and talk the game. I, I love those times. I think great teams that builds, uh, that builds a relationship amongst the team. And I, and I think those days, I mean, I grew up when my dad in the seventies, mm -hmm. I mean, that was like, that's part of the rules. 
Like, there's got to be, if there's 25 guys on that roster, there were 15 to 20 guys hanging out for an hour after a game, having a beer, whatever they were doing, and just talking the game. What went on today? What, what, what's tomorrow? You know, family talk, but whatever, it was hanging out with your buddies. It, that doesn't happen anymore. But what do you see in the new new era of media? Well, well, the big difference is that the first part of my career, it was mainly just the the writing press. And now there's so many uh, different uh, in the Internet age. And now there's so many podcasts and, and those sort of things. There's different ways. There's different types of media that wasn't there before. And there's so many more different. Uh, the, the technology is so different. It's uh, so. I think when it was just the three or four beat writers who covered the team, the, the same faces you saw every day, and it was easier to to build a relationship with the players because they knew this was <laughs> these were the guys. <laughs> you know, you knew Bob Finnegan and Jim Street, and those guys were there every day with the, with the Mariners. Now there's a lot more people there, uh, and you don't know who they're with or uh, you know sometimes i don't even know who they're with and um so i think the players maybe are a little more cautious in yeah their- that, that, that makes sense you're right i mean i never thought about that because when i was in the clubhouse i know if i'm in new york i know you're from the times you're from the yeah. post you're from you know there's a bunch of papers in new york but i know you're not from the so-and-so podcast or the so-and-so blog and you know i know these guys i know what uh you usually have relationships with them through the years, but that, that's an interesting point. Yeah. You don't know who you're dealing with in today's day and age. Cause there's so many different entities coming from so many different places. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I, 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 I think that the relationships that the beat writers have nowadays, you know, our beat writer at our paper, Ryan Divish, you know, he, he does a great job of forging relationships with the players and building trust. I think that's still there with the core beat writers, but I think the, the, uh, the the medium has changed so much and the way that the information is conveyed has changed so much that that can't help but affect the way, you know, it, it, if you're a player, it, it's probably hard to go out nowadays too, because you're afraid someone with a, a fan with a, with a camera is going to, you know, you're having a beer somewhere, you know, you might show up on uh, Twitter or something like that. And uh, TMZ. Uh, yeah. TMZ. <laughs> yeah. So I wonder, how much that has inhibited players uh, ability to, to sort of fraternize in the way that you did. Larry, I came up and uh, I had some guys early in my career that kind of, and this is before your time in Seattle, but I came up in 92, Jay Buhner, mm-hmm. Chris Bozio, uh Although it was tough love. Yeah, uh, they kind of took me under their wing. I mean, they were as hard on me as you could possibly be. Sit down, Rook. Shut up. You speak when we speak. You you speak when you're spoken to. And I, you, you imagine with my personality how I responded to to Jay. <laughs> <laughs> but I I just got myself in more trouble. I got you know. Yeah. But at the end of the day, he'd take me to dinner. He'd buy me a suit. He'd give me mm-hmm. the keys to his his apartment that he had that that he was on the market and he said you stay here so i was taken care of they took me under their wing and they taught me the ropes and they taught me how to be a big ligger does that happen in media when you were coming up did you have an elder statesman kind of per se take larry stone and just kind of teach you the ropes a little bit yeah i did i mean i started covering baseball uh, my first season was 86 uh 
Well, I, I was working so for we're smaller. Clo- we're closer to 40 years than 30. I said 30 well, plus, but it's closer yeah, to 40. Yeah, I'm over 40. I yeah. started I started in 79 in Yakima wow. covering high schools. But then I got a job covering the Mariners for the Bellevue Journal American. I only was there for one year. But uh, Bob Finnegan, who was the beat writer at the Times, helped me out a lot. Jim Street, the PI, both those guys helped yeah. to teach me. Um, I had some guys in the Bay Area that... Uh, that's where I went next. Nick Peters, who's he, you know, he's in the sports writers wing of the hall of fame. He, uh, he was on the giants beat when I was there and he'd been there forever. And I just watched him and how he interacted with the players. And, you know, a lot of my learning from him was just watching him in action and just admired the way that he uh, handled himself with players. And um, so, yeah, there, there were definitely mentors along the way. And, uh, they were, they've been invaluable. Hall of Fame voting. Yes. How is it? Okay. How is it that guys have been retired 10, 12 years, lose a ton of votes or gain <laughs> a ton, ton of votes out of nowhere? You, you yeah. voted for the Hall of Fame for a while. Uh, there's so much debate on this. There's so many yeah. things that I disagree with. There's some things I agree with. But the toughest question is asked, well, what would you do differently? That's a tough question. Yeah. I have some ideas, but it's so complex. It's like, I don't know if you could ever do it. I would never let a Hall of current Hall of Famer vote for the Hall of Fame because they don't want anybody in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> you know, so there's a lot yeah. of caveats there. Mel Alton, uh, Mel Alt- Antonin, what did he say? He said, uh, if you don't like the system, complain to the Hall of Fame for all the yeah. people out there, the naysayers. Um, but but how is that? How's that happen? 10, 12 years after retired, I was X percentage last year. Now I'm here or yeah. the other way around. I was here and man, I went way up in one year. Well, there's a couple of ways I'd answer that. One is your the rules that the Hall of Fame have uh, given to us is that you're only allowed to vote for 10. So there's some years that, that there's more than 10 guys that you think are worthy. So you have to leave a couple of them off. And so when the ballot gets a little less congested because those guys have either made the hall of fame or they've, you know, you're only on the ballot for 10 years. So they leave the ballot. So then there's more room on the ballot. So that's how somebody could gain vote is because now there's room on the ballot for them. And another way you could gain votes is that, you know, the way that we evaluate performance has evolved over the years you know that there the, you know the the advent of war wins above replacement different ways of looking at productivity uh have gained a lot of currency over the years uh, it's at sabermetrics and analytics and all that so i think somebody who was regarded as great 20 years ago i think maybe or not great 20 years ago we've come to appreciate i think that happened with bert blylevin who um uh, was passed over year after year and then finally made it because I think a lot of people who were analytic types realized how great he was and started to advocate for him and convinced a lot of people that he was better than you had thought. And I think they, that sometimes players will get a second look. And I think that's what ha- has happened. I think that happened with Edgar. I know what happened with Edgar. I, I followed yeah. I followed that very closely. He was down to like, 20% is third or fourth year. He was hope it was hopeless for him. And then people started looking closer. Some really influential people wrote some essays saying 
hey, this guy's a Hall of Famer, and here's why. And he slowly started gaining votes, and that kind of built on itself. Uh, other people started to, to see, well, if this guy's now getting 50%, I'd better take another look at him. And he went over the top by his last year. His, his last year on the ballot, he got in with over 80%. It was an, an amazing rise. In, in and and I, te I teased Edgar because right at the time, he, he was like last ballot. Trevor Hoffman, a buddy of mine, was like last ballot. Yeah. But yet there's an award named after him, the Edgar Martinez Award and the <laughs> Trevor Hoffman. I said, Poppy, I remember going down the stretch with him. I said, you're in. He said, how yeah. do you know? I said, because they can't have an award about you and not be in the Hall of Fame. It's impossible. This is yeah. already, already predetermined. But, yeah, one of the greatest, obviously, and one of my good friends in the game. Uh, you wrote a book about him. We're going to get to that in a second. But when it when it comes to the Hall of Fame, how hard is it? How much time do you spend? Yeah, just those two. How hard is it and how much time do you spend really uh, going into this? It's hard. Uh, you know, you you get to vote when you're a 10-year member of the Baseball Writers Association of America. So I've been voting for, I'm about a 35-year member. So I've been voting for about 25 years and I take it extremely seriously. And I, I know it's a sacred responsibility and I try to treat it as, as such. There's, there's only 400 or 500 of us who have that honor of getting to vote and you're affecting people's lives and legacies. Mm -hmm. So, so you have to take it seriously. And I pour over the stats and the research and the articles and, uh, you know, a year, every year and, and try to come up with the, the best. I know you're going to, you're going to piss off people, no matter how you vote. You know, there's so everybody complains about your vote, but nobody can agree. If any voting you know, people who say the writers shouldn't do it, the former players should do it. Well, the former players won't have consensus either. In any body of uh, of uh, of people who are voting are going to have the same uh, disagreements about Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and Alex Rodriguez. It's probably uh, there's there's no way to to come up with a consensus on that. So, you know, I think the the, the Hall of Fame, like Mel Antonin, you pointed out, the Hall of Fame is the one who decides who gets to vote and they've decided on the BBWAA for about a hundred years. So uh, they're, you know, it's, they're free to change it if they want, but they haven't felt the need to. And, you know, obviously I haven't voted on many things, but I voted uh, we, at the end of the year, we get the player's choice. Yeah. And I I'm telling you, I took that as serious as you could possibly take it. Cause I thought, I completely detached emotion because as players, we have our favorite guys. We have guys on the other side, maybe that we've never met. We yeah. can't stand them the way they walk, the way they talk, <laughs> the way they play. Uh, by the way, a lot of times uh, when I was a young player, I, I put those in my mind uh, on a, on a, on an opponent. And then years later in off season at a function, I'd meet him and I'd be like, damn it. I actually like that guy. And I've hated him for years. Yeah. So I was really the one thing that was, paramount for me when when voting it and it's not that it's a big deal it's a player's choice but i took it as a big deal and i thought it doesn't matter what i think of that because there were some guys i'd put down that i couldn't stand mm -hmm. opponents but that didn't matter in that moment it's like it doesn't matter what i think of them whether i like them whether i dislike them uh if you earn it you earn it and you're going to be on my ballot no matter what and actually i found it kind of easy like once i went over the numbers and thought this year, 
this particular guy deserves to be the guy at this position because and yeah brett you you can't stand that guy he you know he spiked you mm-hmm. and said, i don't care i see the numbers and you deserve it and i know how tough awards are to get that when you deserve one and you don't get one it's like oh my goodness there's yeah. a, there's one gone so i always make sure that my vote's going to be hey this might be the only time this guy wins this award yeah. and i don't like him but I'll tell you what, he's earned it. So I put it down. So that that's that simplify how I would think when when given yeah. a ballot. Yeah, and that's what I try to do, too. I voted for the Hall of Fame for people I don't like at all. And uh, there's other people who couldn't have been more cooperative. And I just don't Can't think pull the trigger. All, yeah. And they're, yeah. They're, not, they're not quite Hall of Famers. What makes it tough is there's this whole group of tweeners who are just about Hall of Famers, but maybe not quite. And uh, yeah. And that's what makes it hard. Uh, you know, you're, you're on that list. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll just wait. We'll just wait till we get really old. Then you, yeah, booty. <laughs> hey, you know what he did? <laughs> I, I see that, you know, because all the second, yeah. all the guys that I grew up watching and were great yeah. players and are just on the cusp, you know, it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's tough to make it to say for sure he's a hall of famer you know yeah. it seems as as time goes on they start to get hey let's relook at him you know yeah who and knows that's, larry that's <laughs> who knows <laughs> who knows well that's what the veterans that, that that's the other thing there's a fallback once you're off the writer's ballot you go on to the veterans committee uh, which is uh current hall of famers and as well as other people in uh baseball and you know that's where I, I think it's cool they have that, by the way, because I think the Hall of Fame is for the fans. Yes, I think yeah. it is. It should be for those elite players that did elite things in their mm-hmm. time. But I don't like, you know, it seems like the football NFL, they're they're inducting six, seven guys a year. You know, they're right. all over the place. When people go to Cooperstown, they want to see. I, I wish there'd be a few more guys in. I still think you have to make it sacred a sacred place but at the same time i'd like to i'd like to let a few more people in uh your time in seattle obviously it's been a long time i want to do a quick rapid fire with you and and just a sentence if you want about these individuals uh and it's going to be some of the biggest guys in in seattle in the mariners history so we're going to start with big unit when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, big, moody, temperamental, but a lot of fun. I can say that as a player, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I enjoyed covering him. I knew, I knew, uh, I learned quickly that you just uh, avoid him on the day he pitches or the day before he pitches. But if you got him in the right mood, he could talk forever and uh, gave some of the best interviews I ever had. A-Rod. Uh, I think A-Rod... When he first came up, he was the the media thought he was the best thing that ever happened. He was so cooperative, and then something happened. I think, I think when he didn't win in 1996, uh, that was his breakout year. He hit about 356 with about 50. He won the batting title. He won the batting title. He was 21 yeah. years old. Yeah, and I think he thought he, you know, you, what you just said that sometimes you think you're going to win an award, and he thought he was the MVP that year. 
and both Seattle writers voted for for Griff Griffey, and uh, I think he took that very hard. And and I don't know if it was ever the same in Seattle. Actually, neither of them won. Juan Gonzalez won that year because those two kind of split the vote. But um, uh, he changed, and um, you know, we we uh, we all saw what Arod became. But pure talent wise, uh, we you and I talked about this the other day as purely talented a baseball player uh, before things went bad for him as I've ever seen. I agree. And, and, you know, he's, he's kind of a polarizing figure in today's game. Um, but people forget, you know, yeah. you're always talking about who are the great, you know, the greatest of the greats. And they always mention him. <laughs> you, <laughs> you want to talk about numbers? <laughs> Alex is like, top five in the history of this earth when it comes to numbers. I mean, look at them one day. They're impressive for those of you out there. And, and he's never mentioned with the great of the greats, I think because of, you know, the baggage that has been picked up over the years. But you talk about a talent, you know, talking about these young players today, you've got a, an Acuna, uh, obviously a guy you get to watch on a daily basis, Julio, um, Tatis Jr. in San Diego. These are once in a lifetime talents. And, and when I'm talking about them, they're like, well, is he kind of like A-Rod? And I kind of like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> a like you mentioned, when A-Rod was 21, he wasn't hitting 286. He was hitting 357 with 50. Yeah. I mean, he's a guy, that, I don't know if we've ever seen that before. These guys today, obviously very talented, but to just rush and, and put the A-Rod, hang the A-Rod tag on him, that's that's rare air for me. It's like hanging a junior. Oh, he's like a King Griffey. Wait a minute. I yeah. played with junior. That's one of the freakiest guys I've ever been. When I say freaky, I mean it in a in a good way. Uh, so, yeah, it's tough. It's tough for us to guys that played in, in certain generations. To I remember when my dad retired and, and Randy Johnson was coming along. And my dad had a tough time, especially before Randy, you know, had this unbelievable Hall of Fame career in the middle of his career, comparing him to a Steve Carlton, mm -hmm. who my dad in his day, he was the lefty, the greatest lefty of all time in my dad's eyes. So he couldn't give. It was tough for him to compare the big unit to Carlton. Now, when it's all yeah. said and done in his body of work, now my dad says, oh, without a doubt, Steve Carlton was the best lefty of our generation, I think. I think the unit is definitely the best lefty yeah. in your generation, but to hang that on him early, it's like, wait a minute. I got to see a little bit more before <laughs> I give you that, that big yeah. of a uh, compliment. Uh, Jay Buhner. Yeah. Jay probably maybe his most, most fun to cover of anybody. Uh, I mean, he, he was, there were so many superstars on that team, hall of famers. You know, we've talked about a few of them, unit uh, Edgar and, and, and Griffey are all in the Hall of Fame, but I think Buner was the heart and soul of that of that clubhouse. I mean, he had such a magnetic personality that everyone gravitated towards him. And he was a great player in his own right, but he uh, he'd tell you he wasn't up, he wasn't the stature of those guys, and yet he ran that team in a lot of ways. So uh, just a, just and he was a lot of fun to cover. Very outspoken, uh, would say whatever he felt, and he loved that as a as a media person. And, um, yeah, I just talked to him fairly recently and he hasn't changed. Ichiro. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you were there when he came up and I'll never forget that spring when 
He was not pulling the ball with authority, and Lou was going crazy. Who, what, what, I was told this guy could hit. I want to see it. And he told Ichiro, like, you got to start pulling the ball and showing you can handle these pitchers. And that did his first at bat. He had a, in spring, this is spring training in Peoria. He, he had a home run onto the berm in right field and he came back and said, Lou, is that good enough for you? And then he kind of took off. But, uh, the whole spectacle around him that year, that first year with the media, the Japanese media and not knowing what to expect and just having him burst upon the scene uh, the way he did um, was special, something I'll never forget. And then the 04, you got, it was a terrible Mariners team that lost 99 games, but he set the all-time hit record. And uh, that was a blast to wa- watch that develop and unfold down the stretch. That was also the year that Edgar announced his retirement. So Going into the last week of the season, you had Edgar's final few games and Ichiro closing in on George Sisler's record. And that that's a memorable time in Mariner history that I'll never forget, even in a 99-loss season. Uh, modern modern day guy, Julio, 22 years old. Uh, yeah. Man, he's talented. Watching him this second half, especially yeah. what he's capable of, I think if he can remain healthy, this guy's going to be one of those special, special players. Yeah, I've, I first interviewed him in the fall league when he was 19 years old, and I came out of that, and I told people that I knew this kid is unbelievable. He, he had such a great head on his shoulders, and you could just tell. And he he's just one of those guys that just oozes talent and charisma. And really, I hadn't seen – he reminded me <laughs> of impact, of just like I thought he could – could be one of those great players that the Mariners have had, like a Griffey or a, or a early A-Rod. And maybe that's too much pressure, but he sort of takes that on himself. He wants to be that kind of player. And I, yeah, I think he has a great head on his shoulders too. I don't think success is going to spoil him. And uh, I think we've only seen just the, the scratching the surface of what he could be. Leave the be- I'll leave the best for last. You know, one of my best friends in the game. Uh, when we- my time in Seattle was a lot of it was spent with Edgar, but Edgar Martinez, you wrote a book yeah. about him. Um, Larry Stone, what sets Edgar Martinez apart? Yeah, I think his humility for one thing. Uh, he's as down to earth a person as you're ever going to find, as you know. But I think that hides, or, or not hides, but it's sort of. Uh, uh, masquerades and an intent burning intensity that he had you know, he overcame that eye problem that would have ended a lot of careers he you know, basically had to learn to see with one eye and do all those eye exercises that i'm sure oh yeah I, oh i love i love <laughs> busting edgar's balls every day oh edgar you're gonna get the record player out today <laughs> yeah. but he, and he would laugh oh Booney, i have to <laughs> yeah yeah but uh yeah, I, I just think he's a he's a genuine person, and you know, as talented a pure hitter as as you're ever going to find. And uh, and now that I reach the end of my career, when people ask me for the high points, I think the the best moment I ever had in my career was when he uh, made the Hall of Fame. He allowed me the the whole Martinez family went to New York uh, on the day they were going to announce it. And they let me come and I hung out in his hotel suite with, with Holly and, and, and Edgar and the kids. And that was 
basically it. Tim Heavily with the Mariners. There was maybe 10 of us in that room when he got the call saying that he made the Hall of Fame. And so I was there, you know, no one in the world knew. They they didn't make it public for another hour, but I I got to see the family's joy and his joy and all that. And that's that, that to to have an front row seat to watch that was just incredible and I'll I'll always treasure that that day. Speaking of the Mariners, Mariners they're pretty good. All-Star break, I, I was there for the All-Star break for all those festivities. Seattle did a great job. And I've talked about this before. Uh but the overwhelming sentiment I had then from from people that work for the Mariners to the fans on the street was uh you know when I was greeted Brett, great to see you back. Uh Reminds us we were here in 2001, the last time the All-Star game was there. Seattle did a great job then. But what I heard most was, I wish our team was doing better. Yeah. And, and I had that same sentiment. It's like, yeah, wouldn't it be great if they were in first place with all these kind of a cherry on top? Well, since then, mm-hmm. I think they were 10 games out or so. For a minute, a week ago, they were leading the division. I never yeah. thought that, and I don't think you thought that either, that that the division was in reach. Uh, it was, you're going to be fighting your your tail off for a, a, uh, a wild card berth. All of a sudden today I wake up, uh, if it ended today, I think they're in a tie for the third wild card spot. And I think we've got 14, 13, 13 games to go. Um, you've been watching this team. You watched them last year, 90 games got to the postseason. I think if that Verlander in game one with, with the Astros goes differently, it might be a different series, but it didn't. They ended up getting swept. They won 90 games a year ago. Two years ago, they won 90 games, just missed getting into the playoffs. Similar nucleus, although we've had some new guys. Uh, Robbie Ray missed the season, uh, but the young Miller and a young Wu have stepped up to, to be that fourth and fifth in the rotation. What do you see from this team? How good are they? Well, uh, it's been like almost two different seasons. Like you said, it was very lackluster for the first half at the All-Star break. It looked pretty dismal. And then they just took off in August. They won more games than the Mariners have ever won in August, more than the 2001 Mariners that won 116 games. So, and that put them right in the thick of the race. And as you said, it put them in the first place. And then I think everybody's evaluation changed to this is a team that should make the playoffs. They, they had put themselves in position and then September started and they proceeded to go uh five and eleven and i think they won yesterday and so they're still very poor september but it's gonna they have still have seven games left with the rangers who they're tied with and three with the astros yeah that's that they finished with 10 games against those two teams so that's going to determine it's there for the taking for them it's but uh i always felt they had a chance to come back because they had the pitching they they had uh you know, Castillo, Gilbert, and Kirby, three studs in the rotation. And then these two kids who came up, the, the Wu and Miller, uh, showed that they are formidable too. So any team that can throw a good starter out there pretty much every night where you like your chances, that's gonna, over a 162-game season, that's going to that's gonna play out and that's, and that's going to prevail. And so I thought that they would hit a stretch where they would just – outpitch teams and that's what happened and then the bats then julio decided to go uh uh into warp speed and carried them in in august and 
now well now i think some of those pitchers are kind of on fumes and and the bats have cooled off a little so it's going to be nip and tuck down the stretch but i think they have a they have a good shot at the wild card spot because the rangers are 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 really really hurting they their bullpen is just killing them right now and i think they're vulnerable for the mariners to, to, to take them down the stretch yeah, I think I look at the bullpen, and uh, for the Rangers, I think they're twelfth in the league. That's that's their weakness, best offense in the in the American League, probably yeah. only rivaled by the Atlanta and all uh, the Atlanta Braves and all of baseball for offenses. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you, you never wish bad on anybody, but uh, Scherzer going down. Yeah, man, because I I, I was doing uh, I was doing the fan in Texas, and they talked to me about the Rangers. I said, well, if you get Scherzer. And Evaldi pitching like they can, and and I always I always go back to my generation. And the last time I remember something like that was two thousand one when it was Randy Johnson, it was Kurt Schilling for the for the Diamondbacks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you have two horses like that, they can completely take over a postseason. Now postseason is a little different. You've got more rounds to get through. So yeah. it, man, you're going to wear out if you only got two guys. But Texas up and down with Gray, and they added Montgomery from St. Louis. They're they're deep as far as that starting rotation. Scherzer out now. Anytime they say, well, uh, he's going to miss the remainder of the season, we'll see about the postseason. Don't plan on that postseason because you wouldn't <laughs> miss the remainder. No. Uh, but like you said, there's the, the, the Mariners finish up with Texas, Houston, Texas. So basically, as a player, you really can't ask for anything other. Hey, we control our own destiny right here. We yeah. win the most games. And, and then it's not even about the wild card. It's about the division. They're only a game and a half game and a half out of the Houston Astros and, and you still you worry about them because the Astros have been awful quiet this year nobody's been talking about the Astros I think that's because they're so they've been so good for so long now but yeah. they're going to be there in the end who do you see around the league let's let's just stick with the American League I know Baltimore's been a great story Tampa Bay whatever they're doing they've got a unicorn uh organization over there it seems every year year in and year out they just they just churn out winning teams that get to the postseason for me in in the central I don't see much Minnesota's winning yeah. a terrible division uh, but a Houston, Texas, Seattle. What do you see the postseason? Who really, uh, from the games you've watched this year, kind of caught your eye? Like, watch out for those guys. Yeah. Well, if the Astros, just because of their pedigree, uh, I think are always going to be tough if if they make it. But they're. I mean, you look at the Astros. They lost two out of three to Oakland, two out of three to Kansas City. This is in the last week plus. And then last night they had two run lead in the ninth inning and they gave up a three run homer to Cedric Mullins and lost to the, to the Orioles. So they're, they're floundering a little bit. Um, so, I mean, I think they're vulnerable for the Mariners to, to maybe catch them, but we'll see, but they're also, you know, they're a proud group who I think they think they're sort of preordained to win that division, but uh, Tampa Bay, they're amazing. You're right. Uh, you look at the names on that team, and they're not household names, but they just know how to put together a team that, that's good in every aspect. And yeah, I think they're going to be very formidable when you get to the postseason because they have a good bullpen, good rotation, and uh, somehow they've got a lineup that just top to bottom, they, they have platoons, and uh, they just know how to match up and and the other team that's kind of on the rise is the Orioles. The lots of great young players. This Gunnar Henderson is something else. Uh, 
Uh, Adley Rutschman, uh, the catcher from, from Oregon, very, very good rising star. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm not sure if they quite have the pitching to go all the way, but I think that's a team that's going to be a force in the American League for years to come because they, they're very young and they got more talent coming. So, but I think uh, the, the Braves are the odds-on favorite to win the whole the whole thing yeah. this year. They've the unbelievable lineup, frontline pitching. Uh, I think you know, there's in baseball, who knows who's going to win? The best team doesn't always win. And the year that year that the Phillies got, remember they had the four aces with Cliff Lee and Roy Halladay and. Uh, Oswald, and I can't remember who the fourth was, but um, everyone gave them the, the pennant in the World Series, and they didn't even get there. So you just never know when it comes to right. the postseason. Dodgers a year ago winning 111 yeah. games, and uh, an 89-win Padre team knocks them off. For me, I, I look at the AL, and there's some talented teams there. I mean, teams that if you just yeah. send them to me, I say they could go deep into the postseason. But it's, okay, we know Baltimore's in. We know Tampa Bay's in. We know Minnesota's in. There's three spots. Yeah. And you got Houston, Texas, Seattle, and the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah. One of those is not going to make it. <laughs> one of them's not going to make those, it. And, and that's four real good teams. Yeah. Toronto, they're known for their offense. They can pitch. Toronto yeah. can pitch. So it's going to be really interesting down the stretch. I think it should be a fun stretch. And, and uh, you know, you talk about late in the year uh, being tired. Because it is a long year. You got spring training and then you got 162 games. Of course, you're tired. But when you're in a pennant race like this, and, and as you mentioned, Texas, Houston, Texas to finish for the Mariners, not only for the Mariners, but that's a that's an exciting finish for the Rangers. So I would assume those last two weeks, nobody's going to be tired with everything that's going to be on the line. It's going to be a, a hell of a run. It's going to be fun. Yeah, I can't. I can't wait. And I agree with you. I think from the Mariners standpoint, uh, I think they should be happy they're playing those teams. They don't have then you don't have to rely on somebody else beating those right. teams. You, if you if you want it, you beat them yourself, and uh, and then you don't have to worry. You're you've picked up a game no matter what happens if you beat uh, Houston or 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 uh, or Texas. Right right now they've sort of had to scoreboard watch and hope other teams knock off the teams that they're they're catching. But that stops come. Uh, I mean, you're still going to watch the scoreboard to see how Toronto does or whichever one of those two teams that you're not playing, but it it's in your own hands. If you win, it doesn't really matter what the other teams do because you're going to make the postseason. Well, Larry Stone, I appreciate it. Congratulations on a great career. You're, you're stepping aside November. It's going to be weird. You're going to be like the rest of us. You have to find something else to do. You could reverse. You could become a ball player and there you I'll go in your media seat. Yeah, uh, but it's been a pleasure all these years, Larry. We've always stayed in touch. Uh, class act, true professional, and I appreciate you coming on. Hopefully, uh, these Mariners do get into the postseason, and I'll get to spend a little time with you in the postseason if I come up to Seattle. But it's been wonderful having you on the on the show, and I appreciate you coming on. Uh, for all you out there watching the Boom Podcast, listening to the Boom Podcast, wherever it may be. I appreciate you doing it and we'll see you next time.